No matter in life what you try to do, you're dead too. Hello, and welcome to You're Dead Too, the podcast about our shared inevitable demise. I am your host, John Toyson, and joining me again this week on the program is nobody. How long am I going to keep this running joke going? Uh, this week I wanted to actually talk about grave relocation and how to move a cemetery, which is always a lighthearted, fun, carefree, casual conversation, so strap in, let's get weird with it. Uh, before I jump into that, as always, I want to say if you've got uh, questions, comments, thoughts, feedback, whatever have you that you would like to let me know about how you're feeling, I'm open to hearing it. You could send an email to yourdead2 at gmail.com, or you could reach out on Twitter at yourdead2 or Instagram at yourdead2. Um, don't be alarmed if the interactions take on slightly different forms than you might be expecting because I very much just exist within the medium that is that particular venue. So if you're reaching out over email, expect to get a more, you know, verbal, verbose, articulate response. If you're reaching out over Twitter, I'm going to keep it short, punchy, keep it pithy, and be concise, hopefully kind. And then in if I'm doing this over Instagram, I just you got to make it work. It's... I just feel like a hot mess whenever I'm on Instagram and just, like, it's, I don't know. I'm doing the best I can with social media. It's never been an easy, comfortable thing. It's always me trying to micromanage a message in a weird medium that I've only, you know, acclimated to as an adult and didn't grow up with. So it was, it's, at best, a mixed blessing. So, anyway, gravery locations. Before I dive into that, um, it is worth noting that today is January 30th. And in the year of our Lord 2020, there is a new um, emergent pandemic going around. In this particular case, it is the Wuhan-based coronavirus, uh, the flu that has emerged in uh, China and is now making its way around the globe. Uh, as I currently sit here, this will be an interesting time capsule to hear if this either becomes the end of the world or just another Coney 2012 thing that just comes and goes. People have been talking about SARS and uh, different forms of bird flu in relation to what this is, what it looks like, if it's anything of significant impact. There have been reported uh, 200 deaths at the most at the moment. However, that is based on the assumption that everybody involved is being honest and accurate and uh, forthright with their information. I don't mean to assuage any particular government or national interest or organization, but um, certainly the branding and message from corporate governments that we have uh, that we're working with, you know, you're going to be getting a very particular type of message and not necessarily what is the actual truth, but the truth you're supposed to be told. But I don't want to get all conspiratorial. Uh, frankly, the fact of the matter is that there is this uh, – the World Health Organization has now called it, you know, an actual official concern, um, declaring a global emergency. And, uh, you know, it's hard to buy face masks anywhere now because people are worriedly snapping them up. I don't know. I'm actually, despite all of the existential anxiety that I have, all of the stuff that I deal with as far as why are we here? What is this going to be for an existence? How does this all operate? Um, I don't know. I'm not – this is one thing that I'm not particularly concerned about in that 
I am certainly sympathetic for everybody that is experiencing it and dealing with the terror of it and not knowing if they're sick, not knowing if they're going to get better. Um, I mean, I'm not concerned about it in that I can only control what I can control. I only have access to the means that I have, and I only have the world to influence that I have. So it's, you know, I'm not supposed to be the savior of anything. I'm just supposed to be a husband and a father and a friend and a son. You know, I don't... uh, I've been talking to my own therapist about, you know, existential worries about things that have been getting me down and feelings of hopelessness as far as ramifications and how so much of that is just hardwiring based on a flawed short-term meat suit that we wear that is just really wired to make sure that we get the most fat and sugar content out of whatever it is that we're eating and just, you know, store up nutrients so we don't have to worry about starving to death. But we get the slowest form of reward from doing anything the right way, from being centered, from not being, from not just tipping over into worried chaos. Um, There's just no, the system is not built in a way that we are rewarded for good behavior. We're rewarded for being indulgent. It's not necessarily our fault, but I mean, we, we are wired to just pursue certain things. And as a result, you know, being calm and quiet and measured in how we see the world is not something our bodies reward us for. So when I see something happening like this, I, my instinct is to just, you know, panic and run full tilt at it and see what is going to happen. How can I be prepared for something? And that's the trouble with anxiety is that sometimes there's nothing that you can do to be prepared about anything. There's nothing that you can do to be ready for something. So I just have to be comfortable with the fact that I can't control it. If it comes here, it comes here. If it doesn't, it doesn't. I can donate to organizations that are doing what they can to help people. And, you know, just last week it was the Australian fires. I mean, there's always something, but I can't. I just am surprised at my own lack of terror, which is a vain way of self congratulatory. You know, I just. Um, I hope this isn't coming across as callous and mean as I feel like it is now, but I just, what I'm dealing with as far as seeing it in the news is I'm not letting it get the dread hooks into me. Instead, I'm flipping it on its head and just reading weird conspiracy theories about it and just seeing what the tinfoil hat crowd is saying about it because what have I got to lose, you know? I mean... It was pointed out recently on my favorite murder, I think, this week, that, you know, until recently, we didn't have to know what was happening in the world. We didn't have to know everything that was happening politically or socioeconomically or every grave concern. You were basically responsible for your immediate family and then some social acquaintances, maybe some people in town. That was kind of it for most of humanity. It's only been in the last 100 years or so that we've really developed this sense of global community where we have to be aware of what's happening. And I feel this weird pressure to be involved or like that I'm somehow failing in the act of being a global citizen if I don't have enough concern about everything. And you just start turning into Brita from community, which uh, good writing, but Jesus, I don't want to be her. You know, that's it's not a way to live. You know, I've got to still function and like get up 
in the morning and do stuff. I can't just wallow in bed and let the fear and anxiety take over. You have to get up and persist as a person in a functioning society. Um, and until, <clears throat> until that finally comes to me in a way that I have to take action on it, then I will. But as it currently stands, I'm learning how to be not detached, but I don't know, rationally approaching this. So again, I don't, I don't, want this to be callous and dismissive. I just, it's almost like I'm embracing the futility of like, yeah, what are you going to do? I mean, I can take care of myself. I can keep those around me healthy, but I can't stop disease that's going to happen. You know, some things are beyond my control. No sooner than I could stop a meteor from coming down out of uh, outer space. So I have to accept the fact that this is what it is. So, uh, as it stands, year of our Lord, 2020, January 30th, Thursday evening, uh, hopefully this all just fizzles out and this is an embarrassing footnote where I was all uh, up in arms about something that I need to be worried about. We'll see. So, grave relocation. Okay. So, Reading through various things led me to the subject matter for this week, uh, relocating a grave or moving a cemetery. And I don't... Oh, you know, actually, yeah, what it was that first kicked me off onto this tangent was the notion of... Um, it was a news article I had come across on Twitter a couple of weeks ago about um, floodwaters down south that are disrupting cemeteries and wreaking havoc and causing all sorts of problems and it was something that i remembered actually from the days of hurricane katrina in the early aughts i think it was 2003 2004 when uh, hurricane katrina hit uh, primarily new orleans in the south but the entire southern coast of the united states from texas all the way over to florida and just wreaked havoc but what had become apparent at that time was that uh something that you just don't consider because this is so out of sight and so out of mind is that when we bury people, sometimes you have to rebury them. And that's kind of gnarly. I mean, it's, it's making you confront the fact that we are all going to die. This is something that comes for all of us. This happens in nature all of the time. You know, it's we're not special. Death comes for everybody. Furthermore, I think it really stems from um, the, I think like early to mid-90s, I caught a showing of Poltergeist on, man, what was it? It would have been, would it have been like a free trial of HBO that we would have had or something? We did not have premium cable growing up. That would have been too gauche, too uh, spendy, but you know, at some point we had those free trials or whatever that the cable company would say, you know, try a weekend of this and see how it is. And I caught, uh, you know, pretty much, I think the entirety of Poltergeist start to finish and it just wrecked my brain for a bit. It's actually something I have not gone back to watch as an adult because I don't want to, uh, confront it. Frankly, I want to be able to just kind of leave that in the past, but there's a couple of movies like that, that and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, so a lot of that kind of early 80s suburban, you know, I recently watched E.T. 
uh, again for the first time in a long time, and it was interesting to see what worked and what didn't. And anyway, I don't want to get off my whole tension about movies, but the point is, I saw Poltergeist when I was maybe a little young for it, and also not knowing what it was, despite the fact that it was broad daylight out, it kind of wrecked me. Um, in particular, the notion of Oh, and I should clarify, for anybody that hasn't seen Poltergeist, it is generally about a suburban family who starts dealing with a haunting in their home. That's kind of it. Uh, you know, it has a building plot and a crescendo and then some denouement, and then there are many bad sequels that I don't even have to bother with. But um, the impetus for the haunting of that particular family was that their house was built on the remains of an ancient burial ground that was supposedly moved in the construction, but the actual bodies were never relocated. They just moved the headstones. Um, And that seemed horrifying. That was just absolutely sacrilege for me. That just seemed so, no pun intended, gravely offensive. It just seemed like it was absolutely tantamount to the sanctity of the dead. And again, I was not a particularly religious child, but I had enough of a you know, middle-of-the-road Lutheran upbringing that it seemed like that seemed not just to be in a religious front, but in the sense of human profoundity, that you shouldn't do that, Uh, that desecrating a grave is a bad thing, generally, that seems to traverse all uh, cultural lines, you know, the same way that cannibalism is generally frowned upon by all people. You know, there's certain very isolated pockets of humanity that are engaging in it or practicing it or, you know, have a history with it. But uh, desecrating the place of burial seemed to be especially heinous or egregious in its, you know, wanton uh, frivolity? Is that it? No. Anyway, point is... uh, it seemed really bad. What has turned out to be the case, though, is that it's actually not that uncommon for it to happen. It used to not happen at all, really. Um, you would have incidents of uh, people being reburied or, on the rare occasion, an entire cemetery being moved You know, in the attempt at consolidating or moving something, but it was not until the advent of machinery and the industrial revolution as we know it that whole scale cemeteries themselves have been lifted and moved elsewhere and that's you know a gross overstatement i don't mean they're actually just like wholesale carved up out of the ground and hoisted over elsewhere but it was surprising to me to see that um it just it used to be very rare but now it's not that uncommon it happens um the practicality of it is super super weird and it's like a logistical problem, really, when it comes down to it. You know, I've talked a lot about cremation and what to do with the notion of how do we respectfully handle the dead? What do we do with this thing that happens to everybody? How do we make use of that in light of our connection with the world around us? And that's why I was so hopped up about alkaline hydrolysis last week, because it seems like a more elegant solution, frankly, than sticking somebody in the ground and granted that's just it's coming from a different mindset than a different experience of humanity based on thousands of years of tradition rather than some 
dipshit in his 30s looking around the suburbs and thinking, you know, I don't think there's enough land for us to all be stuck on the ground. But that's really, when it comes down to it, that's what's happening, is that there's just not going to be enough land as it currently stands. Um, That's really what it, you know, comes down to. The old adage of, it's the one thing they're not making more of, so why are we spending so much of it or allocating so much of it to people that... Yes, they're using it, but not in the most fruitful way for the rest of humanity, but maybe that's a very biased way of looking at it, question mark. So, as we run out of space, and again, I'll stop stating the obvious at this point, um, it's, it's just a logistics concern. It's trying to figure out, look, we as a people want to generally put people in the ground, how does this work and how does this mesh with our reality of having to pay for that service, having to basically make it possible to happen because not everybody's capable of digging a gigantic hole every time somebody passes away, especially with the way that the length of life has increased in the last hundred years. But it's just, again, practicality of money or, you know, family consolidation, keeping everybody in one organized place. This is a conversation I've had to have with my own family about what are you guys planning to do when we all pass away? Like, do we all, like, I know where most of my ancestors are on one side of my family. I know where some others are, but I also know that, like, not everybody has the same plan. I'm sure there's going to be some wild cards who want to be shot into space or, like, you know, buried under the second base at Wrigley Field. So how do we handle this? Um, As far as how, I'll get to that. But the why, I actually found out a ton of really interesting information on a blog called Bones Don't Lie. And it's kind of going to be my rabbit hole for the next X amount of days as I go digging through archive posts. It's kind of an amazing thing to find a website or a series on, uh, you know, anything, podcast, TV, whatever, and realize like, oh my god, there are hundreds of entries of this, and I get to just go through this whole massive back catalog and either like cherry pick stuff that's exactly fine-tuned for what I'm interested in or just kind of letting it wash over. Uh, This particular post for Bones Don't Lie, which is a a blog or a website run about uh, information gleaned from the study of bones. And it's this lady who is an archaeologist who writes very well, and I wanted to properly source my information here. So it's this uh, article she wrote, uh, and by the way, let me just find the author's name super quick. Bones don't lie. Yeah, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. Bones don't lie dot wordpress.com. Kate Myers. There we go. Hi. Sorry that took longer than it should have. Um, Kate Myers. That's who it is. Bones don't lie. Uh, So she gives five reasons for relocating an entire cemetery. I'm starting with this because obviously dealing with just one body is a whole different scenario. And I've covered some of that before when it's uh, intentionally moving a body from one cemetery to another or digging somebody up for reasons of forensics or digging them up to desecrate the grave so that they can't be uh, 
resurrected into the afterlife. In the case of moving an entire cemetery, you know, an entire tract of land and saying this has to go elsewhere, uh, she found five main reasons for that. And the primary one was uh, being forgotten and then found, which is actually pretty common with the way the developing world has been expanding and expanding. We just lose track of them, which is a weird thought, but look at how old some of our older cities are. Look at London. Look at Paris. Look at Cairo. Look, at, I mean, any major metropolitan area, Mexico City, how long have people been there and building up and building up and building up and just reusing the same land over and over again? It Like the catacombs in Paris, you eventually have to do something with all of the dead people. Um, they, through either you know exchange of rights over the years or ownership records get jumbled and lost and it's forgotten that there was a cemetery at a certain place like if all the headstones are gone how are you going to know that there are graves there if you're not actively paying attention to it and and any cityscape people just kind of put their blinders up and go about their day places get forgotten about and when you go to do new construction you dig into the ground and oh there are people buried here um the way that we would bury people in the past there would not typically be much left uh, at this point. In that particular case, what is often done is, well, here, I'm getting ahead of myself. So something being forgotten and found. Like, oops, we didn't know that was here when we started digging this approved construction project. Uh, The second is just straight-up construction, that in the process of we intend to purchase this land and revamp it, uh, we know that this is here. This has to be moved. This has been approved. We've bought the rights to this land from the person or the organization or the religion or the religious whatever that owned this land. We are going to be developing this for something, and we need to just pick all of this up and move this elsewhere. Um, similarly to that, the third is expansion, that uh, humanity as it just sprawls outward as towns and cities increase in size and populations grow – we just claim more of wildlife. I've seen that here myself. I remember asking my dad when we were driving between the town I grew up in to the next large town over. Uh, you know, it's kind of that suburban sprawl of just like a Kmart, a Walmart, a McDonald's, a coffee place, uh, you know, and just kind of strip malls from one end of the universe to the other. And I remember my dad telling me, Man, you know, I remember when I was a kid, this was all just farmland. Just from here, I mean, between the two cities, just absolute farmland. Nothing built, and now there's all this. And that just really blew my mind that humanity just kind of expands like a virus like that. And when I moved to my current house with my wife um, seven years ago now, uh, no, actually eight years now, the traffic and the population density it's not an insane growth, but it's definitely noticeable. Like, I've seen how cities have grown since I've been out here and how it's been – and I should clarify, I'm in the outer ring of the suburbs around the Twin Cities in Minnesota. So I've seen how it can be just this incremental change over the years of just another housing development goes up and another business center goes up and another company comes in to put their headquarters here. Uh, it just – it grows and grows and grows, and it's not through callous, you know – careless acquisition of land it's because frankly our needs are outstripping what is existing and we have to go outwards 
this is what happens. The city grows, and we say, well, we've had this cemetery since the 1800s. Nobody's been buried here in X amount of years. Maybe it's time we reverently move the cemetery. Um, so that's the third expansion. Fourth that she lists is natural disasters. If something happens where we have to deal with this, and the primary example she cites is floods, which uh, I'll get to a bit later on, but frankly, if there is... Um, Well, you know, a natural disaster, if there's flooding, if there's some sort of typhoon or hurricane or an earthquake that just basically upheaves all of the land in a particular area, that has to be dealt with. You can't just, like, let the dust settle and just, <laughs> just walk away because you uh, we're people that must respect our dead. Like, this is kind of a—this is an ingrained thing that we do. And so, like I was saying at the very top of the podcast, knowing what happened with Hurricane Katrina, um, sometimes you have to take wholesale an entire cemetery and move it to a place that won't be affected in the future or, you know, basically resettle it somewhere that hopefully helps get it into a more stable, permanent place. And the fifth thing that she lists would be honoring the dead. If there is a um, cemetery that's been in disrepair or neglect, uh, it's... Again, just this basic human drive to honor the dead. You don't want to let it just be reclaimed by nature necessarily. I mean, I could actually see a certain romantic appeal in doing so, but I can see the drive to say as a community, we need to gather all these people together and um, reinter them in a place that we can keep them as forever as intended to be, uh, as a way to show that we're not just treating people as a landfill. So those are the five main reasons that we're seeing that we have to relocate people. As far as the logistics that I was talking about, individuals versus uh, groups, uh, the practicality of Digging up and moving a person is not necessarily novel enough material to be covering on the podcast. I say from my lofty basement post where I am the arbiter of the shit that I say. Um, meaning, generally, if you can dig a hole, you've got the means to redig the hole and move what's in there and put it elsewhere. Um, it's when it comes to the logistics of this is supposed to be sacred ground. How do we move this from A to B in a way that is not um, overly costly, ineffective, too time-consuming, or disrespectful to the dead. So what do we do? Um, in the event that you are going to see it, it comes down to a split, I read this in an article from Slate from 2005, um, based on on the age of the cemetery. So for older graves, you've got one way of dealing with it. For fresher, more recent burials, you have a whole other way of dealing with it. But when it comes to much, much older graves, if you, say, are um, stumbling upon a cemetery from the 1700s or earlier, there's not going to be much left necessarily in the sense of body integrity or depending on what was done with the coffins or the type of burial, like, the odds of you striking upon a random mausoleum buried in the ground, pretty darn low. However, it's not impossible to say you could 
come across some interesting burial pits. But if you're burying somebody in what is generally a wooden box and, you know, not sealing it in rubber because that wasn't the thing, there's not going to be much large material left. It's going to be small enough that what is done, basically, the, the best practice that I was reading at the time, and this is actually based on the, God, the Israeli, defen- the Israeli Defense Force uh, relocation. It was supposed to be quick and uh, sort of a one-at-a-time one process. So it was basically recognizing we have these graves or these these burial spots here. What they would do is pick up well, not pick up, but they would fill a box that was roughly the size and shape of like a pinball machine almost, but uh, thinner or rather uh, shorter and wider, basically a big, long, flat box. They would fill it with the necessary amount of dirt from top to bottom to uh, do their best, most respectful estimation of here's generally, you know, a... uh, seven by four plot of land that would likely contain one person quick get it up move from location a over to location b settle it back down with heavy lifting equipment into the ground uh release pick back up go back over and just one piece at a time in an entire grid-like fashion just pick up move over put down pick up put over put down and just section by section take the remains from one section of the earth and put them over to be reinterred reverently somewhere else um that's doing it in a way that there are, like I said, not significant amounts of uh, pieces that are left. That can also be done for, um, well, we'll get to that. When dealing with these older cemeteries as well, you can actually, um, they'll use radar and walk the, what was it? I was watching the documentary on Netflix about pandemics, appropriately, uh, looking for mass graves from the Spanish flu uh, pandemic that went around the world. They section off areas of suspected cemeteries and just walk them with uh, ground radar or ground sonar to um, penetrate into the ground with radiation to see is there a, a change in the density of the soil as you go down lower to see there's basically soft pockets or discolored pockets in what is a normal color of earth to, to determine, all right, this is the spot. This is where it has to be brought from. There's likely something here. This is how we can tell kind of this sunken impression of, uh, of what's there. And that's another thing that, you know, I mentioned briefly, the forensic aspect of uh, body relocation here. This is something that you come across in the true crime genre that looking for unmarked graves, you can typically actually look for a depression in the earth because as the burial spot, as the body decomposes and that material is um, integrated with the earth, it kind of moves away and allows the dirt that has been on top to settle and uh, compress back down into firmer earth. And so you get these little depressions, and say little, meaning that they are slight. They are not tiny. They are, they're, you know, not particularly remarkable impressions in the earth that you can kind of tell that there is something buried there as it uh, settles. When it comes to more recent burials, that's where we're looking at uh, a more meat and potatoes practical version of, okay, 
This can be several thousand dollars of personal outlay to get somebody from a recently buried spot to be dug out of the earth with a backhoe and have the casket lifted out of the earth, brought over to another location, and interred there. You can be moved via uh, whatever circumstance it is, if it's a hearse or if it's some kind of hauling SUV, whatever you need it to be. That's where, if it's a more recent thing, that's what's typically done. That's why it's more of an elegant, uh, just simple you're not having a, a groundskeeper dig with a shovel. You're having somebody go in with a backhoe and get this done and get it done quickly. Because, again, you don't want to have to make a messy labor out of all of this. You know, it's it's something that can be – it's why when dealing with a funeral, you don't sit there and wait for somebody to dig a hole at the beginning and then start throwing dirt on at the very end. You have somebody dig the hole out before you get there. They – set a plot. I have covered this all in the funeral episodes. I don't know why I'm going over this right now. Um, but anyway, the point is, when it comes to the individuals, you have the backhoe, get the coffin of the casket or the burial plot, pick it up, hoist out, place into a device, uh, move it to the next location, place it back into the ground. Um, it can be reconsecrated. It can be with a ceremony that you're doing, but basically the act is to make it as holy or reverent to the deceased as their wishes would be best intended. Uh, That's the trouble with people being long dead and maybe not having next of kin is that you can't necessarily assume much about them. And so you just try to be as uh, straightforward and reverent as you can. In uh, the terms of the flooding that I mentioned with Katrina, it can actually be it's not necessarily a problem every time. It's when there is mass, mass flooding that it becomes an issue. Normal flooding and movement of groundwater is not actually an issue in cemeteries. Um, people do have the inclination to seal people into, um, you know, lead-lined vaults or um, st- sturdier burial plots to ensure that they're not disrupted by the earth in a particular manner and basically wanting to keep somebody as undisturbed as possible but the way the water passes through the earth it's it just it happens we are we are ash to ash we are dust to dust this is what happens is that water will course through and we are part of the the ecosystem and we contribute to the fertilization of soil if it happens it, the water just passes through it's when there's too much and it sits for long periods of time or uh, it, the cemetery has dealt with too much recent burial that you will see coffins actually pop up out of the ground as uh, I think it was the movie Hard Rain had that happen in it during some flooding. Um, probably one of the Resident Evil movies, if not all the games that I had played deal with that as well, that um, when there's flooding, the caskets can oftentimes just pop right up out of the ground because the the earth over them is not dense enough and heavy enough to keep them in place, that's when you have an issue that they need to be gathered and identified and reinterred somewhere that they'll not be disturbed again by another round of flooding. Um, If you're still interested in looking further into this, there's a weird article that Mental Floss did about four particularly unusual cases of cemetery relocation, one of them being, uh, again, hovering around this for who knows why, but um, in New Orleans for the Saints, when they were building the Superdome back in 1971, um, there was an entire 
there were, I believe, two different cemeteries that they actually moved and really didn't do as a thorough of a job as they could have in contacting and notifying next of kin about the process. And in uh, <laughs> in pop culture, in popular lore, that had been the reason for the Saints just sucking so much wind for so long until their Super Bowl, uh, Super Bowl victory in 2005, was it? Um, that they were cursed, that there had been... Uh, angry spirits that felt disrespected by the lack of reverence in the movement of, you know, taking them out of their place of resting and moving them elsewhere without so much as a prayer or a thank you uh, that people were saying the team was cursed. Whether or not you put much stock in that says more about uh, your intelligence versus mine because I have no place to—or not intelligence. I'm an asshole. What am I saying? Your confidence and your beliefs. I'm not sure what I believe about that. Maybe it's nothing. I don't want to bring angry, vengeful ghosts around and have them ask me what I think about that. But uh, the second case they note is when Eisenhower built the international, international, good lord, uh, the interstate system, the highway system. Um, there was something like 2,000 different cemeteries that were moved, smaller cases of uh, local cemeteries that were Basically, hey, make way. We're making the highway system. We have to move all of these. And so there's this whole process that they had to go about moving every single one of these 2,000 different cemeteries. Uh, Shanghai Disney, uh, there was a – and at the risk of further aggravating any Chinese audience that I may have, um, I will just say that when Disney was building some of their uh, more recent forays into China and their construction projects ran into some uh, – unprecedented or un, uh, unanticipated burial spots. Uh, the suspicion is that the uh, haunted mansion in Disneyland in China may have some actual uh, spirits paying um, paying visit. And then fourthly, that uh, Lincoln Park, a place that I've been uh, many times, love Chicago, love going there, love visiting, lots of cool things to do there, uh, did not realize that Lincoln Park had been at one point uh, a cemetery that has been, again, relocated because that's what urban sprawl was. And now it's this lovely park in the middle of the city. But yeah, that was at one point a cemetery, and the city of Chicago said this just has to be moved because we need to plan this out for the development of this waterfront property in X, Y, and Z. Uh, that's exactly why that encapsulates come uh, – you know, several of the reasons that they laid out on Bones Don't Lie. So it's a weird article, but it's a good rabbit hole for going down that. I, as always, thank you for listening. It means the world that anybody would take the time to do this. If you've got further questions or if you want to tell me I did a shit job, that's understandable. Uh, reach out at your dead to Twitter, Instagram, uh, Gmail. Happy to talk. Otherwise, as always, thank you for listening, and I will talk to you next week. Mm-hmm.